Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I will say before I talk to Mr. Kelly, thank goodness we got some moisture. The ground and everything was getting pretty darn dry. So anyway, did you have any measurable snow or anything? No, it kind of, well, no, not really. It's it's a coating and it kind of looks like, you know, when you put the powdered sugar on the brownies, ah. you know, like that, that's kind of what it looks like. So well, aesthetically, that's kind of nice. It's beautiful. And with the lights still up in the back, because, you know, I really don't want to take them down yet. Right. Uh, not because I'm lazy, I am, but not that's not why. It's just because it looks nice. And then, you know, with what we're going through, it's kind of brighten your, your evening. But uh but it looked really pretty with the snow last night and this morning. Perfect. So, yeah, how about you? Um, no, not basically only a little bit. And then there was some that was kind of frozen on my windshield. But oh, beyond was there? that, yeah. that was pretty much it. Yeah, just just enough to look pretty. Yeah, it was nice. Mm-hmm. And it was surprising. Yesterday I took my uh, afternoon walk between like uh, 01 and 02 or something like that. And I was surprised. I, there was a few other walkers out. Yeah. But they had umbrellas. Umbrellas huh. in the snow. I thought... You know, I don't get that. Yeah. Well, I guess if you don't want snow on you, you take an umbrella. <laughs> really, I have to admit, my hair got pretty wet. Well, there they... you go. See? So they, they knew what they were doing. Yeah, but they had hats on like you. Yeah. They wear hats a lot. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Brian. You bet. It is Saturday morning, and we're going to have a roundtable discussion about what's going on in your yard, your landscape. How about uh, your house plants? How are they doing? I'll tell you what. Here at Intercom, we have uh, some house plants that were left when uh, sort of the, I guess, the, the offices were evacuated because of the COVID and everything else. Finally, the last plants have been thrown away. They were not looking good. And uh, that's too bad because nobody could take care of them or nobody did take care of them, let's put it that way. And uh, you want to start some seeds? Well, you can do that. Should you use potting mix or a special type of potting mix for starting seeds? Does it make a difference? You want to improve your soil? Well, maybe so. And uh, how about the pruning? Should you be doing that this time of year? And watching out for bugs or diseases? Well, the information I want to share with you is based upon my personal experience and things like that. But uh, remember, my thoughts will hopefully help solidify your options with a final judgment on the action you're going to take 
is going to be on your shoulders. And this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player, and welcome back, is Alex. Alex just had a baby. <laughs> well, he didn't have the baby, but his wife had the baby. And so on New Year's Eve, correct? Yeah, New Year's Eve. Wow. Yep, 8, 12 in the morning. Wow, we exciting. Yeah. So he doesn't look too bad. I thought he'd be a little worn out, but... Uh... <laughs> no, I'm good. He sleeps. Great. <laughs> which is odd because his brother didn't. But... But everybody has their own personality. Yeah. So, perfect. Well, welcome back. Thank you, sir. Good to be back. And he is producing, and when you call, and uh, he'll answer the phone. All he needs is your first name and where you're calling from. And by the way, I'm Mike Miller, hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994, and I do landscape consultations. If you'd like for me to come to your home, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and uh, it's called The Walk and Talk. And uh, on my homepage, my email address and phone number, where I can be reached. Well, let's get moving. The Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Well, last Saturday, the very expansive Wilmore Park. And today, size-wise, well, kind of on the opposite end, but still an enjoyable little space. There's a small plaque, and the plaque says, Make me a channel of your peace. And it's part of a prayer from St. Francis. There was a cardinal chirping. I was really kind of surprised. There was other birds in the distance. And I could hear the flow of Highway 55 in the background. Historic pavilion. It's not really historic, but it was built to look historic. As a wind chime. Where is this? Abusey Park. And that's just south of Sydney. And it's uh, basically on 13th. And uh, it's a little wedge park that's fit between kind of 13th Street and the upper, I guess, edge of Highway 55. But there's a strolling pathway besides the, uh, the pavilion and everything else. There's some massive Norway spruces and Austrian pines as well. There's a deciduous tree that has a good stand of ivy growing up the trunk. And it really looks kind of neat. So those were the, really the dominant things this time of year. Many of the other shrubs and trees were deciduous, and that's what they look like. Surprisingly, there is a variegated holly, and it looks okay. But uh, anytime you add variegation to certain things, hmm, our weather's just a little bit too goofy for them. There's several benches along the parkway, the pathway and everything else as it meanders around. And there's a place where you can bring your bike and lock it up and wander through the park yourself. But it's not big enough where you need to worry too much about it, I wouldn't think. But who knows? And uh, really, the first thing to catch your eye when you pull up to the park is there's an upright juniper. And it must be a bird dropping because nobody would plant an upright juniper in between. Uh, probably the distance between the sidewalk and the street maybe two feet and uh, this is fully mature. It's probably 15, 18 feet high, but it's been pruned so you can park there and not a problem at all. So that's really kind of a plus. And the sky was really getting lighter and the clouds were moving west to east. And what a nice place to start the day. But as, you, as I drove away, as you go to the south end of the park, there's some limestone boulders there with some ornamental grasses. And then to the east, if you turn on... Uh, basically whatever street it happens to be, Lynch Street, actually, uh, there's Anheuser-Busch. So that's kind of gives you some sort of idea where this park is. So kind of a small park, 
but still plenty of things that sort of attract you. Birds and everything else. Didn't see any squirrels this morning, but uh, maybe it was a little bit too early. But anyway, Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With any questions, comments, or concerns you may have. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got phone lines open, so if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, please give us a call. Let's go to Connie's yard. Hi, Connie. How are you today? Hi. Good morning, Mike. I'm fine. How are you? Very good. Hey, we recently moved from the Metro East to Crossville, Tennessee, and that's where I'm calling from today. Uh, First of all, I want to put in a big plug for St. Louis Composting. We use that place all the time when we lived in the St. Louis area to drop off yard waste, pick up mulch and compost, and we already miss it because they don't have anything like that here. But my question today, Mike, is the property we bought, about a third of an acre is wooded. It's primarily oak forest. It has... um, People have been dumping leaves and brush for years, so we're going to hire somebody to clean that stuff out and kind of clean out the underbrush that's growing among the trees. And what I want to do is just have like an understory forest floor, and I've already identified some native plants here like ferns, Virginia bluebells, Solomon's seal, there's a lot of native sedges that grow here in the, the understory forest, and I love daffodils, so I want daffodils too. Um, now, I've talked to some people down here, and they think I'm crazy for even trying such a thing. Um, so I thought I'd call you because I know of your experience with uh, at the Botanical Garden with the English Woodland Garden. Mm-hmm. So I need your advice on how to get started with preparing the land. I've taken a spade out there and, you know, stuck it in the ground, and it's a lot of very fibrous tree roots. Um, And I think the plants I've chosen are mostly shallow-rooted, but how do I go about starting basically an English woodland garden in my yard? (laughs) That's going to be quite the process. In those fibrous roots you're seeing, that's the feeder roots of the trees. So that's what's going to be competing with everything. And to be honest with you, you know, the the English Woodland Garden was in a small grove of trees, you know, on the botanical garden grounds, but it created a monster problem for a lot of the plant materials that were put in there because the gentleman was from England that uh, basically did the design and everything else. So consequently, many things were not able to survive. So initially, I would just say, wait, I don't know how old you are or how anxious you are or anything else. But I would wait for, you know, after you get everything cleared out, wait to see what happens. And then any kind of plant material that does come up, that will kind of indicate to you where maybe some of the spots, even if it's not plants that you want to keep, the spots that might be the best place to start the installation of the plant material. And with the woodland garden, what I ultimately ended up doing, I ended up raising the actually the, all the bed space. So between the walkways, which were... Uh, chip wood, you know, and, you know, from the trees that were taken down and other things as well. And it was lined with logs, and that's what created the pathways. 
But I, I started, I brought in like a couple, you know, like one to two to three inches, depending upon the situation of a, a topsoil compost mix. And then I just shoveled it in. I double dug. So I dug down once and then I was going to, then I put the compost topsoil mix in. Then I dug that down deeper and then I put everything back in. So what I did is I raised the bed spaces up a couple inches. And that's probably going to be the best thing or probably, but you have a large area. So you're only going to be able to do a small spot at a time. So find out what, uh, you know, what's going on first and then go from there. If I if I dig uh, like double dig among some of the trees is and I and I disturb some of those feeder roots is that going to harm the trees? No, it shouldn't. You know, because I did it. You know, and I didn't kill really any of the existing trees. So you just don't want to do all the way around. You know, one potential tree. So you're just doing one spot at a time. You know, in relationship to where the feeder roots are. And let's say you go from six uh, noon until three o'clock. So you do like a, a wedge of that with, you know, starting the center would be where the tree trunk is. And then that way you're not going to disturb all the feeder roots. And during the time while the feeder roots that you have disturbed are reestablishing themselves, there's still three quarters of the feeder roots that are existing. I see. Do you think I'm, do, I'm thinking along the right thought path as far as plants with shallower roots like ferns and Solomon seal and sedges? Well, anything that's, you know, basically anything that's a, a woodland-type plant is going to have somewhat of a shallow-type root system. Now, where okay. you are, too, now I'm assuming that you might even want to try to play around with some azaleas and something like that if you, you know, if you choose to. But if you just well, want Well, I would love to do things, that, Mike, except there's one huge problem. And it's a four-letter word that starts with deer. (laughs) 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 And I know they like to eat azaleas. (laughs) There there are some um, native hollies down here, so and there's already a couple hollies in the forest that I'm I'm gonna leave there. Right. Great. And so So, I mean I would look at you know the gingers and just anything that's sort of native. I mean you can go. I'm sure they've got all kinds of books that are. Native, woodland native, you know, Tennessee plant materials, and take a look at those and go from that as well. Okay. Well, thanks so much for your advice, Mike. Well, my pleasure. And uh, good luck in Tennessee. Thank you. If, if I get anything going, I will email you some pictures. Sounds perfect. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye. Yeah, I mean, there's... I mean, even like snowdrops and things like that. You said the daffodils. Generally, the deer don't graze on not too many bulbs as far as a spring-type bulb. So you can get some color from, you know, from that perspective as well. Let's head over to Ken's yard now. Hi, Ken. Hey, Mike. Hi. Hello. Yes, go ahead. You turn your radio down. Oh, let me turn it down. All right. Uh, there you go. Hey, um, my daffodils are coming up. Mother Nature's predicting their early spring. I thought I'd tell you the good news. <laughs> Great. What do I do to them? Just mulch them over a little bit so they don't get uh, really cold or what? No, just leave them alone. They're kind of, I Well, mean, isn't this awfully early for daffodils to come up? Well, it, you know, this hat really hasn't been that cold. And even today, though, we had that you know, wild snow yesterday and everything else. The, the temperature barely got below freezing. There's been a couple days, 
you know, so far this, let's say, uh, technically winter, where it has gotten cold, but the ground is not frozen. It hasn't been frozen at all. I go out oh, to, you know, well, I checked the uh, crocus, and uh, they're just hiding in. Uh, so only the daffodils, um, they must be really hardy. <laughs> they're t- yeah, they're tough, and the only thing that's going to be damaged is probably the tip of the foliage, so I wouldn't right. bother. If you put more, you know, mulch down on them, it may cause more problems than good because you're by putting the mulch down, physically you're going to bend those tips of those leaves over, which is going to cause more damage than the simple fact of the cold weather. Well, I'll just let them alone and hope Mother Nature's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds Thank good you, to Mike. Me. I appreciate it. Sure, my pleasure. And we've got phone lines, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Though it doesn't really technically apply to this time of year, I mean, we have to be conscious of the fact that the honeybees, I mean, their numbers are really diminishing. And it's habitat loss. There's parasites which attack them, and they're actually a type of mite. There's diseases, bacteria, and viruses, and pesticide exposure, too. So anytime you're spraying any sort of you know, pesticide, herbicide, or anything like that, please be conscious that the bees you know, are there, and they're very, very important. We get a few honeybees in our yard. We get more bumblebees than we get honeybees, but that's just kind of the way it is. And the best thing you can do is just uh, basically... If you're gonna, if you do need to pl- apply herbicides, just don't apply them to around plant material that has open flowers, because the open flowers is going to be what attracts the bees, and the that's you know where your you know the problem could come in. So just keep that in mind, because it is really difficult in this time and era to not apply any herbicides at all. Though there are plenty of people that do, you can drive by and you'll see. You know, wildflower gardens and nothing's been applied at all or whatever it happens to be. But the flowers, you know, provide that continuous food, the nectar and the pollen sources. And the nesting habitats are really important for these, you know, pollinators. So just, you know, keep that in mind. And when utilizing turf grass insecticides, several practical measures, mow the areas before applying and just keep that in mind for any kind of insecticide that you might be applying to. And the bees are not going to be coming into your turf area because there's no flowers basically there, but still it's going to be something that they could land, rest, or whatever it happens to be. So you just have to be really, really conscious of that. So just remember the honeybees are really important. What made me think of the honeybees was yesterday Tracy and I were shopping, and she picked up some honey and it had the you know the cone or the comb in the bottle with the with the honey and she said should we get this and I said well I you know that's fine but uh, I don't really you know, I don't really want to eat that thing or anything else so anyway enough of that let's head over to Carol's yard hi Carol hi hi, hi. thanks for taking my call Mike sure. uh, I always listen to your show try to listen to it as much as possible on Saturdays and I have a question for you today about my knockout roses. I usually cut them back in the spring, and I noticed recently some red growth on them, uh, oddly enough. Uh, when do you think I should cut them back this year? Wow, that's really kind of premature for them to push out and be pushing out any growth. It's not that purplish red growth, is it, with a whole bunch of thorns on it? No, no. Okay. It's- so it just looks like the normal growth? Yeah, like when, when uh, you know, between the 
between blooms, that new red that comes. <laughs> so, well, I would go ahead. You don't have to prune them yet, but you can if you want to. I mean, it has been mild, but uh, that's the first time I've, you know, and when I'm walking around twice a day that I take my walks, I'm always checking out the roses. I'm checking out all kinds of plant material to see what's happening. So even I see that from your, your your phone number that you live in Illinois. I don't know if you live in an you know, inner city area or whatever it happens to be, and it doesn't matter. But, you know, in South City, I'm not seeing any growth on roses at all, whether they're, you know, the shrub-type roses, whether they're hybrid teas, granoflores, or anything else. But I would go ahead and just kind of leave things alone and just kind of prune when you normally do, and that would be probably between Valentine's Day and mid-March. But uh, normally you say, I say, you know, once the growth begins, then you shouldn't be doing any pruning. And unless you have to prune because of the size or anything else like that, you don't necessarily need to prune just for the sake of the health of the, you know, the knockout roses. Yeah, I, I, it was so odd. Uh, we have a lot of, a lot of knockout roses. There's, we live north out in the country, uh, ah. north of Fairview. Uh, between Fairview and Collegeville, and uh, we and we have a lot of knockout roses, so it's always a big project when we go to trim them back. And I was taking my normal morning walk like you, and I, I thought, what in the world? There, there's red growth on these things. So and, um, it, it, it happened. Uh, I noticed it probably a couple of weeks ago. It was after that warm time, little warm spell we had there in December. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, that shows you how soil temperatures really trigger growth, and something that you don't anticipate, you know, all of a sudden happens, like what you experienced. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for your help. I didn't know if I should trim them back now or, or wait till my normal time. So I'll, I'll just wait till that's usually the time I do it between Valentine's Day and uh, St. Patrick's Day. Right. So. Sounds perfect. All right. Well, nice talking to you. Thanks sure. for doing your show. Sure. Bye bye. And folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We'll be back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And uh, wandering around... It's nice to see, which they're not opening yet at all by any means, but the magnolia trees, you know, with those big, nice, fuzzy buds on them. And then occasionally, which, you know, I, there's not as nearly as many dogwoods planted as there is magnolias, which is a little bit surprising. But anyway, to, you know, wander around and see some uh, dogwoods with those little round buttons as far as the flower buds on those guys, it's really even though it's mid-January and everything else, in theory we still got some maybe tough times coming, that just seeing those buds makes me think springtime is, you know, very close by. Right now, let's head over to Lou's yard. Hi, Lou. Hi. Uh, thanks for getting with me. Um, I've got a an interesting situation. Um, every year I plant uh, m- many seeds, uh, tomato seeds and some many other vegetables, and... Um, start them in a in a south window in our uh, abode here and um last june we acquired uh, two uh kittens who are just a little under a year old now and they're very inquisitive and they like chewing on plants and i'm just wondering if 
if I use something like um, dry blood to put around um, the, the uh, seedlings uh, that I start, would that uh, tend to deter them from chew, eating them? Uh, I don't know about dry blood. I don't know where you can get dry blood, but uh, I mean, I guess you can get it, but at the garden centers. You know, but anyway, what I do is because we have some cats in our neighborhood and they like to use you know, parts of our yard to go to the bathroom, I use orange peels. Cats do not like the smell of citrus. So if you just get some oranges and just put the peels, I mean, you got to peel them so it makes it, you know, the strong fragrance. But that should be enough of a deterrent from them, from them to keep them away from your plants. Maybe put some at the base, you know, on the outside of the pots and maybe one or two on top of the, you know, the potting mix and do it that way. And that should be enough of, you know, because the reason why I'm saying that is I, I, I learned that a long time ago. But there was actually a while when there was some geraniums that were being sold, geraniums and geranium seeds, that uh, the, actually the leaves had a smell of a citrus, and they were saying, this is a good deterrent for cats. And I already knew that because I'd been using for, for various places I've lived orange peelings to keep you know cats away. So that's probably what I'd recommend. Okay, I'll try that. I appreciate the information. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, and uh, it's just, it's really kind of amazing, but... Uh, you know, once I've, you know, the orange peels outside, you know, they're going to freeze and they're going to biodegrade and everything else. So they don't hurt my lawn. That's where I'm throwing them is out on the uh, zoysia grass. And then I throw some underneath some of the trees and shrubs that I have as well to keep them from just coming up into the yard. And it's really been a, a very, very good deterrent. So if anybody else has any questions, 314 436 Seven four three six seven nine zero zero, or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. You know, flooding and overwatering. We're talking about in, even in your house. A lot of times, our plant materials will have a tendency if we don't water correctly, they'll start wilting, and we think, "Oh gosh, you know, I've already done a lot of watering." Well, what's going on? Well, what happens is. The microorganisms related to that and the soil and everything else uh, mess up this, you know, the, the oxygen in the soil. And lack of soil oxygen induces several changes in the plants and it adversely affects the vegetation and fruit growth, both. So that's what's going to happen. If you overwater, you're much, much better to underwater. And I, you know, a lot of people will call and say, how much should I water my, let's say, rosemary tree or whatever it happens to be. But overwatering is the worst thing you can do inside and outside as well. So that's what happens when we have extreme times, you know, of when nature rains a lot. That's really problematic and trouble. But with your own house plants, you've really got to be very, very cautious because the days are very short still. And consequently, the, the need for moisture is going to be much, much less. So let's head over to Edwardsville and go into Julie's yard. Hi, Julie. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I have two different questions. One is outside in the, in the summer, I have tall garden flocks. And I wanted, I know that it recedes. I know it also comes back and it recedes, but this last year when it was over, I didn't cut the stalks back. 
or the stems. And will those seeds, will those seeds that are still on the heads, would those grow if I planted them? Or are they over? Yeah, with the flocks, you know, they don't really self-seed all that much. Is this the native flocks or is this just the tall garden regular type of flocks? It's it's tall garden flocks. Okay. It's the kind that smells good and has real pretty blossoms. Right. Uh, you could try the seed, but my thinking is the seeds that are already going to be functional have already dropped, and so they don't they don't really hold on to the seeds through the entire winter and then just drop them in the springtime. I mean, the same thing so, applies to coneflowers and you know black-eyed Susans and things like that. They still have what looks like the seed head on it, but the majority of the seeds that are functional have already dropped to the ground. So should I just cut those off? Uh, you could just leave them and see what happens. And uh, you could cut some off, get some potting mix for starting, you know, starting seeds, and just try sprinkling, you know, putting some of those heads. Don't try to separate them or anything else. The flower heads that remain, just lay them on top and see if any of them do fall and any of them do germinate. And that way you'll, it'll give you a good idea of what to do in the future. Okay, thank you. I have a couple more things. One is there's a cypress tree that drops, if, I don't know if you call those needles or what, but the the cypress tree drops a lot of stuff around the lilac bushes, and it makes the soil too acidic for the lilacs. Right. And what can I put around the lilacs, and when should I put it? Uh, basically... You know, it's probably a bald cypress, one of the types, and there's dawn redwood. There's a couple deciduous type, let's say, conifers. But what you need to do is make sure that, the, like you said, is there no? are these large lilacs that can't be moved away from where this is happening? No, they're big. Okay. They're, like, so they're... I, what I would do first is, uh, you know, get a soil test done and find out what the pH is. Because you're okay. assuming that the pH is high, or uh, you're assuming it's low, so more acidic, and it could impact your lilacs, but also it could be the competition with the cypress f- f- root systems and everything else, and shade. So the soil may be important, but there's other environmental factors that may be impacting the amount of flowering, and especially if they're big, they're probably older, and they're maybe at the end of their life as far as flowering goes. But anyway, ultimately what you're going to do, once you find out what the soil test is, it's going to tell you what the pH is, then that will tell you what t- the amount of lime that you need to put down. Because lime is what you can you know, change the soil to a more alkaline soil. So consequently, that's what you're going to use. But there's no reason just to buy lime and just dump it around I would in without having adequate information. So that's what I would go for first. Okay, and then one other thing. I, I bought a hyacinth bulb that was in water and already rooted in a water vase. And I have a grow light in the house, by the way, for house plants. Mm-hmm. And it it grew in the water and it and it produced a lovely flower. But the, you know, it got so tall and heavy that I had to cut the flower out because it, because it couldn't stand up. Mm. The whole thing was going to turn over, and it was falling over. So I 
So I just cut the flower, which had bloomed all the way tall. But I wanted to save the bulb, and I put it in some potting mix. But uh, should I don't? Is it? I think I think it's too early to put it outside, and I don't know. I've never had hyacinth in the house. And I don't really know how to take care of it or what to do for it. Basically, just leave it alone. Hopefully, you didn't plant it too deep. You wanted the top of the hyacinth bulb to be right at the surface of the potting mix you put it in. And then you're gonna, what's going to happen now is if it's viable and good, it's going to produce foliage. So then when the foliage starts growing, just let it go. Let it, And then after the weather warms up and everything else, then... What you could do is just move it outside, but don't cut the foliage off. Leave the foliage go and let until it lets it or the until the bulb lets the foliage die on its own, and then it'll go through a dormancy and then potentially be flowering next year. The hyacinths—I'm assuming we're not talking grape hyacinths—we're talking the ones that are kind of like the the bulbs the size of a plum, basically. Uh, they're yeah, kind of marginally hardy here. They do okay. But they're not long-lived as far as how many years you're going to get out of them. But uh, consequently, that's probably what I would do is just more or less grow it as a houseplant now until you can get it outside and then put it outside and then kind of keep your fingers crossed. Those type of hyacinths really do the best further south. That's why New Orleans is called the city of the hyacinths because there's prolific amount of hyacinths that grow there. Here it's still... They're almost considered an annual bulb as opposed to a perennial type bulb. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that, but but I appreciate the information and thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And take care, Mike. Yes, and good luck with that. And three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We still have a couple minutes left in this hour. Let's head over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Uh, Mike. Yes. Uh, I live in central Illinois, and I know you've answered hydrangea questions 100 times over, but here's another one. I have three bushes. Oh, probably... Um, they're all 10 years old, maybe a couple of them closer to 20. Uh, they're the purple bloom kind. I have them planted, eh, two of them fairly close to the house, one of them some distance. But they all have the same problem, and that is I have only hmm, four to five blooms on a couple of them during the summer months. But come October, there two of them. One of them has only bloomed one year, but it has beautiful foliage. The other two have maybe four to five blooms during the summer, but again, come October, they're loaded with buds and just starting to open up and bloom beautifully when I have the first frost, and then they're gone. Hmm. What's going on? That's, you know, to be out of sequence like that is really kind of strange. To set the flower buds in the fall, that's, you know, that's a rarity. And it sounds like they're kind of old. So I'm not saying it's an old factor. It's probably variety-wise as much as anything. So if you're, you know, I would almost suggest considering getting some new ones, but do some real, some good research, maybe continuous bloomers 
or if you want one that just blooms in the springtime, like the PG type, and take a look at that. And I don't know if you have a sunny area or a shady area, but if it's a you know a shaded situation, take a look at. Now these are not going to necessarily be colorful, but like the oak leaf hydrangea, and do that kind of situation. But it sounds like things are just they're not just exactly right for the varieties that you have. And mm-hmm. uh, why? When are you fertilizing them? Um, early. Early. Well, so then mm-hmm. you're not fertilizing them again because a lot of times people fertilize later in the season, and that could force that. But it sounds like that's not what you're mm-hmm. doing. So Mm-mm. no, that's this, not. And what do you recommend for hydrangeas uh, fertilizer? Uh, just you know, an acid-based fertilizer. But if you've got the ones that have the color, aluminum sulfate, you know, additionally beyond the fertilizer really is what's important as far as keeping the color, you know, being persistent and good. Uh-huh. Well, they're old, they're established, and as I say, the foliage is just gorgeous. Right. But this October, you know, blooming, and then they're beautiful about the time the first frost comes. And they've done that for several years now. Yes. So, mm. Okay, well, you know, they're large, um, beautiful bushes. I guess I would have to think about <laughs> letting yeah. them go. But Yeah, I don't know. You could leave those, but just get some other ones, you know, and maybe place them in close proximity or something along that line. Oh, so oh you can, I see what you know. you're saying. Just leave what I have, but then right. plant a few so more. So you're going to yeah. keep the sequence going, but then you're going to have the next, you know, let's say the next thrust of let's say, real hydrangeas or hydrangeas mm-hmm. you prefer taking mm-hmm. over while these are still there. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Well, I'll give that a try. Like so many people, I hate to get rid of anything that's so green and pretty. You <laughs> right. Know, so um, I'll give that a shot, Mike. Thanks right. so much. Great. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, mm-hmm. and thanks for having me on your show. Let's you head bet. over now mm-hmm. to Randy, and he lives in Sunset Hill. Hi, Randy. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. I just wanted to uh, mention something I ran into last year when I was starting seeds from scratch. And I was using the little peat moss pots. Mm-hmm. And I was putting the, uh, the starting soil in the starting mix. And I was packing it in there pretty tight. And I put the seeds in. I had a heating mat and a grow light. Everything was fine. But my peppers would only get to be about three inches tall. And after two or three more weeks, I hadn't grown an inch, not at all. So what I did is I took the, uh, the little peat pot and I was squeezing it and I was breaking up the soil in there. Great. And uh, put it back in and they grew fine after that. So if you're going to start something from seed, you don't need to pack the soil in. <laughs> <laughs> That is very true. <laughs> so, I mean, nothing teaches like experience, but that's, you know, it almost acts like a bonsai when it's, you know, that pack, you know, tight, tightly packed. So that's what was happening. I live and learn. <laughs> well, great. Sounds like you have great success, though. Oh, I love doing it. Well, All right. Sounds perfect. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, Randy. And, uh, Liddy, I don't think we're going to be able to get you in before we go to the top of the hour but uh, in the news, but uh, you'll be first in line as we come out of the news. So other things that you need to be thinking about, even though we did get some moisture recently, wasn't enough to do much at all. So I have some evergreens growing in containers, so I've been dumping buckets of water in them. Also, I have grape hyacinths and a few other things that are growing in, you know, 
pots, window boxes, and things like that. So I've been watering those things as well. So in your full landscape, it's a little bit difficult this time of year to be doing any kind of all, you know, let's say, irrigating. But individual pots and things along that line, get some water into those things because they're above ground. They're going to be dehydrated a lot more due to wind and the sun and to everything else. And even though the days are shorter, dehydration of the root system is, you know, it's just going to be a little bit tough on them. So make sure there's water. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, and I will see you after the news. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, the Garden Hotline, tip of the trowel. I'll be giving that shortly, but right now, give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And Mr. Kelly, yes, are you working out in your yard at all? I haven't uh, in a few days, and uh, like I said, I haven't even taken down my lights yet. That'll right. be my next. I got a few things I think I'll take down and leave some of the lights up, but no, I haven't been. Uh, it's just a little too cold right now, and as I get older, man, this cold just goes right through me. I used to not mind it so much, but now it's like, oh my goodness. Well, that was what I was leading to, because uh-huh. you're always saying it's so cold in the newsroom, but <laughs> yes. you haven't said that today, so. Well, it's getting there, and I'm looking right now at the stack of Pfizer vaccines, because it's cold enough in there that they're storing them. Yeah, that, that we're making extra money that way. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding, but it feels like it. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to lead into it because you always say it's so cold out there, and I mm-hmm. see the others, the producer's office, that's where the refrigeration unit is. Yeah. So consequently, that door's open, so I would think it would be just cold air would be rushing out of there. But They I have not. a space heater in there. It's oh, so really? Cold. Yeah, I might put that under my desk here pretty soon. <laughs> well, great. Well, yes. stay warm. <laughs> I'm trying. Believe me. Yes, folks, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, caring for, ups and downs, and all around of the annuals, bulbs, like the gentleman last hour was worried about his daffodils coming up. Uh, the edibles, it's surprising. I mean, these cool season edibles, even if they're not edibles, like uh, the ornamental kales and things like that, they're st- as cold as it had got for a couple days. You know, as I wander around, I see it, and some of those things really still look very, very good. Your ground covers, your house plants, your lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path that can be taken, but uh, I'm strictly offering it to you to, to consider. Across the big board, Alex, he's back after almost a month of being gone, and he has a new son, and they are, you know, he's spectacular. He showed me several different pictures of him, and uh, actually he looks, his nose is just like Alex's. So, that, so and Alex is really his father. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, new baby. They already had one son who's three years old, and uh, so it's going to be quite the scene, needless to say. And I do landscape consulting. I don't do any formal designs anymore. If you'd like for me to come to your home and talk about your yard, your landscape, make suggestions and things like that, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, that's my email address and phone number. And I'll come to your home and do a walk and talk. I'll share 40-plus years of experience as it relates to your landscape design, the setting, and everything else, care and maintenance. 
Tip of the trowel is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trowel goes out to many people here, uh, me, during the show, not being able to come up with, let's say, an answer or something, or they make a suggestion and they send me an email. And last week, a lady called and she said, I've got this really bully-type mockingbird, and he's keeping all the other birds away from my feeders. So consequently, somebody – and I said, well, I'm not really sure how you can do that. My suggestion was a BB gun, which was – I was just kidding around. But uh, anyway, a gentleman emailed me, and what he said is I guess he he knew it or he found out about it or something. The best thing you can do when you've got a bird, be it mockingbird or any kind, that's really – a bully is create a secondary feeding area and mockingbirds like certain kinds of, they do like, and they do eat the regular kind of bird seed and all that other stuff. But there's other things they specifically like. So go, you know, go online, look at what, or go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and see what mockingbirds really like. And then set a station, a secondary station away from, where the regular bird thistle and bird and uh, sunflower seed and everything else is. And that's consequently, he said, the mockingbird will go nuts because he's going to try to keep his own, let's say, food area with his favorite stuff free of anybody coming to eat, as well as the one that's uh, where the thistle and sunflower and everything else is. So consequently, it'll just drive him nuts. And I don't know if that means he will just finally give up and go someplace else or what. But that was a recommendation with somebody that sent me an email. So I greatly appreciate that. And anybody that sends me some kind of tip or anything, I, you know, a tip of the trial goes out to you. I greatly appreciate it. So if you do have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Liddy's yard. Hi, Liddy. Is it Laddie? Yeah, Laddie. Sorry. Okay, that's fine. I have got some very, very old lilac bushes, and I put pine needles down around them for mulch because I got so many. And I was wondering, is that right or wrong? That's wrong. (laughs) That's wrong. Okay, do I? And what it does is lilacs, clematis, and a few other plants really like an alkaline soil, which means lime, which pine needles are acidic. So consequently, you're going you know, chemically against what they like. And so if they still look healthy and everything else is fine, then I wouldn't change what you're doing. But uh, if they're old, a lot of times with the aging factors, then the lilacs will start to stop uh, blooming or setting flowers or flower buds or whatever it happens to be. So if they're well, healthy and you like how they look, then, you know, I wouldn't change it, but uh, that's not what you should be doing. What if I sprinkle some lime around them? Uh, base, you know, and on top of the pine needles? Yes, or I could pull them away and sprinkle it around. Yeah, you could try that. I don't know, you know, if, if they look healthy, then I wouldn't be too overly concerned with it. A lot would of times, it do any, Would it do any good to prune them? Uh, no, that won't help at all. I mean, the, the soil pH is, you know, that's the factor that they, you know, they like, a, a, let's say, a more above neutral type soil. So, in other words, they want it salty versus vinegary. And that's... Okay. So... Well, I thank you very much sure. for your information. Yeah, my pleasure. Have a good day. 
Yeah, it's uh, like clematis, the same thing. A lot of times, you know, a lot of obviously you have pine trees. That's because you said you have a lot of pine needles. So with landscapes, sometimes we're not considering not only mature sizes, which a lot of times people will plant things in a spot perfect for right now the size they are, but never planning for mature size. So they are able to grow and, you know, everything is good. And then they get too big for that spot. But, you know, a situation like this is like putting plant material that likes one type of soil chemistry versus another type of soil chemistry in close proximity. And then it makes it difficult. The pine trees could care less, you know, because I guess you could do some damage to pines if you put lime around them and, you know, or if they were near a chat type driveway or something along that line. But for the most part, they're pretty tough and pretty durable because they drop their own needles and that helps acidify their soil. But just keep that in mind when you're, you know, planning your landscape that you're putting plant material that have need the same sort of things, nutrient wise, as well as soil pH in closer proximity than just, uh, you know, kind of randomly picking things that I want a lilac here and I want to, you know, a juniper here or spruce here or whatever it happens to be. So if you have questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Got some phone lines open, but right now let's go over to Sharon's yard. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Mike. Hi. How are you this morning? Very good. Good. I have a piece of property, maple tree on it. This property can get, it can flood actually, but. Uh... Oops. Sorry, Sharon. It sounded like uh, you know you were having some trouble with your phone line or something. Anyway, uh, let's go now to Dixie in South County. Hi, Dixie. Uh, good morning, Mike. Hi. I ha- I have, hi, I have a question about how often to water shrubbery in the wintertime. In early December, I had three large arborvitae planted and right at the end of when the weather was still decent. And then all this cold hit and I'm confused as to how much to water them or if I've always heard that you don't want to water in the winter because the roots um, it's not good for the water to be on the roots and they would freeze so I'm confused what should I do in the winter time with these brand new plantings well whoever told you the water in the winter time is you know gonna cause problems is completely wrong basically the water you know insulates uh, you know, let's say it adds to this moisture to the soil that makes the moisture around the root systems even all that much better. It creates a situation where there's no air pockets. The worst thing in the winter time is when the soil is really dry, then there's air pockets as a result of no moisture, and then consequently cold air sinks into the ground, and that's what really kills the feeder roots. So that's exactly opposite of what is reality. Moisture in the wintertime is very, very important. So as far as, I mean, ideally in the winter you want about an inch of moisture every 10 days. But, you know, if you have new installations, even to take a couple-gallon bucket, 
you know, let's say I don't know how large these are or anything else, but dump they're a, about six foot high. Six foot high. So consequently, probably I would, you know, about every two weeks or so, take about four or five gallons of water and just pour it around the top of the root ball. And and that would be each tree. Yes, each one. Okay, four to five gallons. Yeah. Okay. So. And then just let it soak in. And right. it doesn't matter how cold it is outside? No, it doesn't because it's, you know, if it's really cold, it doesn't really matter because the moisture is going to go down and, again, help insulate the root systems by creating, you know, a lack of air pockets, which are the most damaging thing in the wintertime. That's why dry winters are the worst thing, especially for newly installed plants. Okay, well, I guess I know what I'll do today when it warms up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, then. Thank you very much. I'll mark it on the calendar every yeah. two, two weeks. Two gallons a bucket. Uh, let's see, that's eight pounds for that's 16 pounds of water in a bucket. So anyway, you'll get so, big muscles. Uh, how, so two buckets. That should it be enough. To yeah. two buckets yeah. per tree. And just okay. you know, pour it all the way around. Just let, you know, don't just dump it on there and walk away. So pour it gently so it can soak in really soak well. Soak it. Yes. Okay. All right. I'll be doing that then. All right. Sounds perfect. Thank. Thank you so much. Sure. Bye. Let's head over to Dave's yard. Hi, Dave. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I have a redbud tree that's a mature redbud tree that developed a uh, like a big knot on the side of the trunk and it lived like that for several years and eventually I started developing knots on the main branches all the way up and the tree of rid- uh, finally died. Uh, do you have any idea what that is or what I should I mean I'm wor- worried about if I take and cut the tree out and I put a new one in maybe there's something in the soil left from this. Now this is this is something that's not coming out of the soil. These are t- a type of gall. So consequently, it's a result of something above the ground that actually causes, you know, damaging. And if these were really old, mature, uh, really, or this was an old, mature red bud, then this is, I mean, it's not normal, but uh, it may be just an age factor as much as anything else. But I wouldn't be overly concerned about, you know, planting something in close proximity because, again, it's not related to the soil. It's related to some kind of, let's say, airborne type thing. Okay. Great. Thank you very much. Yeah, because usually, I mean, the red buds don't get it, but a lot of other kind of trees, sycamores and things like that, will get them, and uh, there's really not too much you can do. Some people will cut them off, and that doesn't really make too much difference. So once it's mm. in the vascular system, it's there. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank sure. you. And now let's go to Sharon. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Mike. Hi. Sorry, I don't know what happened, but we got disconnected. Yes. Um, I have this 50-foot tree, and... It it gets flooded once in a while, and uh, maybe once a year, twice a year at the most. Uh, And the roots are above, a lot of the roots are above the ground, and I mean the diameter of these roots are maybe four inches. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, I mean, from the people previous to this have mowed it, and it has taken off some of them, but you can't take what, they have a, like a little park area right there with rock on it, and they've come through the rock and raised, so you can stumble over them. And you're not going to be able to mow over them. They're too tall out of the ground. Any suggestions? Can I grind those off some a little bit at a time? Will I hurt this tree or not? Well, I wouldn't do it. I mean, I think I heard, you know, before we got disconnected, that it's a maple tree, correct? Yes, correct. And so 
maples just have surface roots. There's no getting around it. That's just one of their genetic qualities mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, putting mulch over the top of it, that's about the best thing you can do. I mean, okay. even a tree of this size and this, you know, root system of this enormity or enormity or whatever it happens to be, mm-hmm. uh, to try to get a ground, like an evergreen ground cover or something growing in there, it's going to be mm-hmm. a lot of work and the result is going to be kind of frustrating. So I would mm-hmm. say just use, you know, some type of mulch. Okay. Another question. I have a fish pond and I had a plant in, potted plant in there that had several plot, plot different types of plants in the pot. I'll mm-hmm. get it out. And one of them was a mini canna. I took it out before the cold weather and that came. Should I have taken that canna bulb out of that soil? Uh, this is this is a type of can. Generally, the canna, that's a specific type of canna that can grow in, let's say, a swamp-type area. Right. So it's a water right. canna. So right. as long as you, if you took it out and brought the, bulb, the tuberous bulb inside then you should be fine. No, I brought the whole pot in. Okay. Uh, you sh- that should be okay. Okay, I- just leave the pot sit and put it back out, and if the other stuff didn't survive, just replant stuff around it. Exactly, and maybe, okay. I don't know where you have it, if you have it sitting in the garage, you bring it in yep. the house? I have it in the garage. Uh, what you might do is get a saucer and maybe put a saucer underneath it, and mm-hmm. in another, another couple weeks or so, uh, start Water. watering it a little bit and see if you, okay. you can kind of trigger some growth that way. Okay, good. All right. Good idea. One other question. Sure. I have a lilac bush. Is ashes from a fireplace good for a lilac bush? Yes, that's you know that has alkalinity to it. So mm-hmm. ideally it's not the best thing to do because there's not going to be a whole lot of, let's say, other qualities to it, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and it depends upon what kind of wood you were burning and things like that. But for the mm-hmm. most part, uh, wood ash is not all that bad. Okay. Can I start putting some of that on now? Yeah, just because it's going to take a while before it's going to, you know, soak down into the ground and actually right. start changing the soil chemistry a little bit. Okay. All righty. Thank you very much. Certainly. You have a good day. You Thank you very much, and thanks for having me on your show. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Have any questions? We've got some phone lines open. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, let's head to Springfield, Illinois, and see what's going on in Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hi, how are you doing? Very good. Hey, uh, I've got uh, three, about four and a half, five feet burning bushes that are getting woody around the top of them, and I want to see if I can cut them back some to make them a little smaller and uh, see if they look better doing that. Can I do that, and when should I do that? Yeah, best to do it before the new growth begins, before the, you know you start to see any kind of foliage coming out at all. And, yeah, you can cut them back, you know, as much as like 20% or so. If you cut them back too much more than that, I mean, there are people that have called before that said I've cut, you know, whether it be roses or burning bush or anything else back severely, and they came back more robust. But that's generally not the case because a lot of times as the stems elongate, the actual leaves or the buds that will produce leaves are no longer functional further down in towards the center of the shrub. But 20% should be safe. 
about a foot down from the top all the way around. Right, exactly. Okay, that sounds good. And when should I do that? Uh, anytime before the new growth begins. So probably uh, you're looking at uh, be- get it done before the 1st of April or so. Okay, sounds good. I appreciate it and love the show. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. Remember, if you weren't there, I would not be here. <laughs> and now let's head over to John Jard. Hi, John. Yes, Mike. I got a question about my American sweet gum tree. It's about 35, 40 feet high. Is there any way I could slow down the droppings from the sweet gum tree? Uh, basically, there is a, a type of chemical. A tree service can come in, come out. You might have to call several tree services, but they can actually inject the tree, and that will prevent sweet gums from f- balls from forming or seeds from forming that particular year. But to have it consistently done, it's got to be year in, year out. So you can't just do it once and not have any more sweet gum balls. But, yes, there is. You inject this. The tree service will inject this chemical into your tree. Okay, thank you. Sure. Yeah, sweet gum balls, uh, wow. They are really dangerous. Uh, You know, living by close by, you know, living across the street from Christie Park, there's a couple sweet gum trees that are pretty close to the sidewalk. And I, to be honest with you, you almost have to watch and look down as opposed to kind of enjoying the setting and everything else because there's so many sweet gum balls. And a lot of times, you know, I'll cut through the park as opposed to walking on the sidewalk. And that's even kind of worse because part of the park coming down from Gravoy is on a slope. And then you you step and you ha- you can't see because of the grass or whatever it happens to be. The amount of sweet gums the last couple of years, sweet gum balls, the last couple of years seems to be prolific. Now, maybe it's just my exaggeration or something else making it think, making me think there's more sweet gum balls and I'm not really being realistic, but uh, they are ferocious. And they're probably, the, you know, the to me, one of the most horrible things. And Tracy, too, my wife, she grew up in Glendale and consequently, the main tree in their front yard was a sweet gum tree. And so she just, I mean, she has, I don't want to say a, a hatred for sweet gum balls, but uh, that was out of three girls in the family, that was her responsibility was to take care of the sweet gum balls in the front yard. So she just uh, doesn't really like it at all. But uh, anyway, I'm going to go back a little bit, too, and talk about, uh, you know, the watering the lady called about, uh, especially anything that's been planted for less than two years, you need to make sure that there's going to be some moisture. And just, I mean, to go out right now and just kind of probe around in the landscape and, you know, see how easy it is to push a shovel in, maybe that rain or whatever we had, we did have a little bit of rain before the snow, it might just create a situation where the top quarter inch or half inch of the soil has been moistened, but that's not a good amount for pretty much anything. So just realize that you can't water your whole landscape, obviously, this time of year because every a lot of the stuff has been turned off. But newly installed stuff, you're going to have to get some moisture on them. Let's head over to Rick's yard. Hi, Rick. Hey, good morning, Mike. Thank you. Sure. So I have a holly tree we've been trying to uh, kind of get under control in terms of uh, shaping it. And I heard your comments on the burning bush. Um, so what would you be your recommendations for kind of trimming back a holly tree to try to get it under some sort of shape? 
So uh, this is an evergreen holly, I'm assuming? Yes, yes it is. Basically, you've got to be very, very careful and not prune back beyond the point where there's actually any foliage because as you go towards the center of the tree, you can look in there you know, by pulling the branches apart a little bit and notice there is no foliage in there whatsoever. Now, some of that has to do with the fact that the actual foliage is shading the inside, but also it's just a genetic type thing. So the you know, I mean, the leaf buds are no longer functional back in there. So if you're going to cut it, let's say you've got a, a single branch, just as an example, and there's six inches of foliage on that end of that branch. If you cut more than half of that off, you might get into a situation where you're causing problems. And you almost okay. have to selectively prune as opposed to using a hedge trimmer because hedge trimmers you know, can kind of cause more damage than good, especially on a broadleaf evergreen like a holly. All right. So we had been using some hedge trimmers, and that's not the way to go, obviously. No, so, I mean, but um, a hand pruner, you know, one branch at a time can be, you know, can kind of drive you nuts. I will uh-huh. have to say that. Yeah, yeah. Any time of year? Uh, you're better off to do it during dormancy. Don't do it during the okay. summertime. So as we're coming out of wintertime, before the new growth begins at all, then I would do it at that time. But probably what I my tendency would be would probably be to do it uh, maybe uh, August and September. Do it in the fall, and especially right. you know just make sure you don't you know expose just a lot of twigs you know because of the yeah. we don't know yeah. what the weather is going to be like. Hey, thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, if you've got a good, nice, mature holly, that's unfortunately you have to prune it. So, yeah, they, they just get so big and burly that <laughs> it, it, it doesn't, doesn't look doesn't look appealing anymore. <laughs> well, you're lucky. All right. Well, thank you. Sure, my yep, pleasure. Appreciate it. And Brett, how are you today? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I have a question about my my sod. Um, I uh, I got a pretty shady area. I live in Webster. And uh, I, I was wondering, it, it's pretty shady, and I'm, I'm having trouble growing some, like, uh, grass. Uh, wondering when the best time to grow some grasses. To be honest, you're underneath trees, it's not the shade factor. That is part of it. You know, the sun, even if you use a shady spot mix, it's a competition of the tree roots. And you're never really going to yeah. have a successful lawn as far as... One that's, you're never going to have a picture-perfect lawn here regardless in full sun or anything else. But you're not going to have really probably even an adequate lawn underneath trees. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can go to the botanical garden, and underneath a lot of those large trees, as you walk up, let's say, from the Climatron to Tower Grove House and everything else, there's areas, large areas of lawn, and... With core aeration twice a year, spreading compost and seeding every September, you know, this it looks okay, but if you really step into the lawn area and look down, it's always going to be thin. So just realize that even under professional circumstances, it's very, very difficult to have a successful lawn. So regardless of what you Thank do. Thank you so much. Sure. My have pleasure. a blessed day. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, just... Good time of year to have your tree services come out and take a look at your trees. You say, well, what can they do? I mean, all the leaves on your deciduous trees have all fallen off. Well, they have the ability to thin trees out, and they can, you know, take a look, get rid of the dead wood and all that other stuff. So thinning the trees 
maybe limbing up some of the trees. This is a good time of year to do it. The only trees that I've, and somebody sent me an email about uh, an ash tree when they could be pruned because it's overgrowing the house, and I haven't sent the email back to her, which I should have. But anyway, pruning in the wintertime is good on most trees. It, it can be done on all trees, but personally, birches, beeches, and maple trees, I like to prune those in the summertime because there's less, you know, less sap flow. And the sap flow is probably not going to be detrimental as far as, let's say, longevity factor or anything else. It just can kind of create a, an aesthetic as well as a physical mess. And a lot of what you're looking at your trees right now, as I looked out the, our kitchen window the other day, we have th- the three sugar maples because we're on a corner a, between the sidewalk and street. So they're street trees. And there was a sap sucker. And, I mean, it would go and then move over like only like an inch or so. And it would just they drill a whole series of holes about uh, the holes are maybe like a quarter inch or so. And, I mean, they are perfectly in line. It's just kind of amazing that these, you know, these birds are able to do that. So there's a lot of bird activity and a lot of squirrel activity like right now. And one of the things that I'm kind of mystified by as far as the birds, we have a mugo pine. It's big. It's mature. It's not super high or anything else. But the, a lot of the birds, the wrens and the chickadees and things like that, go in there and they're finding something to eat. And I'm not exactly sure what they're getting because I look at it very closely, but they spend a lot of time bouncing around on various branches. And I could tell by the way they act that they're finding something, you know, some kind of insect or some kind of sap or something that they're eating. So, I, you know, I'm mystified by that. I should probably do a little bit of uh, research or whatever on that. But uh, let me, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We'll be back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and let's go over to Jean's yard. Hi, Jean. Hi. Um, Mr. Miller, I really appreciate your show, and uh, I just need one question answered. I'm thinking about putting some kind of a bush for my birds in my backyard, and I want it to be uh, full of berries that they will eat. And uh, it can't be a holly, and it can't be poisonous. Do you have any ideas what I could put back there? Uh, what kind of birds are you trying to attract? Doesn't matter. Well, I've got cardinals, but I have a variety of birds, uh, you know, sparrows and finches and woodpeckers and blue jays and uh, robins. And just uh, I want the, the birds to be able to eat the berries as well because I've, I feed them, you know, quite often and, and try to keep up with that. Well, I would probably take a look at, there's several varieties of viburnums. Take a look at those. I mean, they're going to have clusters of berries, so that's one possibility. Viburnum, V-I-B-U-R-N-U-M. Right. And then another one would be heavenly bamboo, which is not a bamboo. It's not a big shrub or anything else, but they do produce, I mean, probably maximum size, if you don't get the dwarf one, it's going to be about four feet high, but they produce huge clusters of berries on the top of them. Then the other one is the one that people hate, and I probably shouldn't even say this, (laughs) is the honeysuckle. 
you know, finding a honeysuckle, and uh, maybe you can find one in a, a friend of yours yard if they've got a yard that has some woods edges or whatever. Mm-hmm. Doing that, but uh, that's not recommended because they are highly invasive. But they do produce a lot of berries, and the birds do like them a lot. Okay, sounds great. So I Thank would take, you for- yeah, take a look at all those. And if you want an evergreen, I mean, even looking at the the junipers because they do produce the blueberries, and the birds do eat the blueberries. Right. Oh, okay. Didn't realize that. Okay. Thanks for all your help, Mr. Sure. Miller. My pleasure. Thank you. And now let's go from Gene over to Tony's. Hi, Tony. Hey, Mike. Good morning. How are you? Very good. Uh, I heard the, your caller before uh, talk about his sweet gum tree. Uh, we have a pretty good sized one in the, in the uh, backyard. That uh, there are some branches uh, that are that are that are dying. Okay, that are not producing uh, um, uh, leaves anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you recommend um, cutting it down or trimming it back? I would say any of those branches that haven't produced any foliage, it's just dead wood. And if the overall tree is healthy, just have those branches taken off. It, it's a it's a lot, okay. Oh. I mean, it's a pretty good sized tree, and um, I mean, you, it's you, it's just dead wood. Some some of it is is just like automatically falling right now on a windy day. Ooh, so this sounds like uh, in bad shape. I'd have a tree service come out. And more than likely, they're probably going to say to take it out. But if you've got major amount of branches on any kind of tree that are no longer producing foliage, then that's not a good sign. Okay. And All right. Thank you. Sure. And especially if it's close, you know, close to a building or something where some of the branches might fall or, you know, over your driveway or anything like that. So definitely get a tree service out and have them take a look. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Sure. And now let's go from Tony over to Wayne's. Hi, Wayne. Hi. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a five-foot retainer wall that comes, my patio comes out, and there's a two-foot wide planting area, and we've planted dianthems, dianthems, or however you say that, in the area. And every winter, uh, you know, we've probably got about 25 of them along this area. About uh, eight or ten of them die a year, I guess, from the cold weather. Uh, I'm not sure if it uh, is from the frost getting from the top or possibly, since it's only two foot wide, the frost coming through the block wall. Is there anything we can cover them with? Uh, Buckets, plastic, uh, anything that would save them so we wouldn't have to plant eight to ten a year? Now, these are dianthus, right? Yes. So, I mean, the dianthus, are they in? The, are they getting adequate amount of sun? Yes, they're getting plenty of sun. So? Uh, there's no blockage because they're about uh, 25 to 30 feet away from the house. The patio goes out that far. Okay, so consequently, the reason why those are dying, generally with the dianthus, is, I mean, they're pretty tough and durable, is... You know the in, the actual installation of the ones that are the in the same spot, the ones that are dying, over and over and over uh, again, or are they just randomly throughout the entire patch? You know, I could almost say that. Uh, yeah, you're probably right. They're probably in the same spot. Right. So my guess is those spots are low, and there's too much moisture there. That's about the only thing that really is impactful adversely to the dianthus is wet soil. 
So before you put any more in there, just kind of raise that spot up a little bit. So in other words, get some uh, topsoil compost mix and just mix it in to elevate it. And when you install them and plant them, uh, basically... Basically, just you're trying to make sure that the crown of the plant is slightly above the surrounding ground. So that's what it is. Okay, the crown. Okay. Right. So in other words, where the stem and the root system meet, just make sure it's elevated a little bit more. Okay. So you don't think the frost or the cold weather from the outside of the retainer wall is getting through to them and killing them? No. No, I don't think so. That's a, you know, that's, I mean, these are tough plants. So, and especially if there's coming at the same spot. Yes. I think they're pretty well the same spots. Uh, so just you know, now thinking about it, this is about our fourth year, uh, three years that we've had to replace, you know, one throughout this whole area. So. Right. So again, okay. just kind of add some stuff to elevate those individual spots. And I'm sure you're going to be surprised. Okay. Thank you. Sir, my pleasure. Now let's head over to Ron's yard. Hi, Ron. Hey, Mike. I appreciate you talking to me. Um, What I have is a peach tree in my backyard, and it gets full sun. But the problem is is that it produces nice-sized peaches, but there's always a lot of worms in it. I don't spray it because I don't like the insecticides and also what I was wondering is if there's something else that I could put on there to help clear that up or do I just have to spray it? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, things attacking the fruit is, you know, that's problematic. And so there's really no nothing you can do that's going to prevent that from happening. So you're just going to have to live with it as is or you're going to have to start to uh, Probably go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website, mobot.org, and look about, uh, you know, find out what, you probably don't know what kind of peach tree this is, but uh, just take a look at the potential insects that are going to impact the fruits of the peach tree. All right. I just wasn't sure if there was something organic that I could put in there that helps, you know, deterrent the, the worms in there. Yeah, with with the fruit, it's a little bit difficult. With other things, I mean, there are dormant oils, which help suffocate things and things along that line. There's insecticidal soaps. But on the fruits, uh, I don't know how effective those are going to be. Okay, so you'd say if I did use the oils and I'll use it at what time, before they start flowering? Yeah, the dormant oils before they start even leafing out or anything at all. So that's that's basically in February when you put the dormant oil on. Then in the summer, you know, while they're actively growing, there's a summer weight oil too, which covers everything. But uh, you know, without knowing specifically what kind of insect is impacting your fruits, it's difficult to tell. Yes. Uh, all right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Sure. That's my pleasure. All right, Mike. Have a nice day. Bye. Thank you, and do the same thing. Let's head over to Dave's yard. Hi, Dave. Yeah, hey, I uh, was wanting to get some information about a raised garden bed. I think I, I know, like, what size to make it, what have you, but uh, how deep is one concern, and then what to fill it with? 
uh, basically, I mean, using a raised bed mix like you get at St. Louis Composting, and how deep, you know, you want to just basically the surface soil in the area that you're trying to create a raised bed, just spade that over once or rototill that area once, then blend in the, the, let's say, materials that you're bringing in to make the bed raised. Right. Okay. So it depends. Uh, you don't need siding or anything. If some people like siding, you don't have to have siding on it. All you do is, you know, kind of create a trench around it uh, with just the well, spade. I don't. I want to do siding on it. Okay. I was wondering what material, like cedar. Uh, you could do that, but um, you know, another thing to use is uh, a combination of, let's say, recycled plastic and sawdust. That makes a type of timber or wood. I've got some of that okay, myself. Okay, like the trucks material. Yeah. I've got some of that myself that's like 11 or 12 years old and it's still holding up really, really well. Don't use railroad okay. ties, definitely. Right, right, and no treated wood. Right. Uh, and, again, how high from the original grass? Uh, probably, you know, just probably about three to four inches would be, you know, more than adequate. Oh, okay. I was thinking like eight or ten. Or... Well, you could do that. You don't have to. I mean, when you look at the community gardens, they're, you know, six or eight inches. So, anyway, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.